there, Bulldogs. Welcome to Career Chat. This is Kylie, your host, an alumnus of DeSales University and a former career ambassador. I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast to help provide you with valuable information relating to career development. Prepare to hear from some amazing people as we help you explore your interests, develop your skills, and implement a plan for a fruitful career in the future. With that being said, let's get started with this week's episode. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation about graduate school and um, helping our students learn if it is the the right fit and if it is, how to move forward. Mm -hmm. So graduate school is something I sort of have a little bit of experience in because of medical school, but medical school is sort of the anomaly in graduate school applications. I feel like it's just the little black sheep in the corner whose process is a little bit different. So I'm actually uh, working on making an episode with Dr. Himmelberger for the medical school process, but you and I will be talking about the general um, either master's, uh, PhD level uh, graduate school. So if you don't mind telling me a little bit about sort of just a little bit about you for those who may not may not know or have not listened to your uh, initial episode, just a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So for our DeSales community that is not familiar with myself, my name is Kristen Eichholt and I am the executive director of our Career Development Center here. I'm actually coming up on the end of my 11th year at DeSales, wow. which is, it's, it's interesting to, to think about how fast time really goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was preparing for our presentation today, I could not help but to think about my graduate education. So I received my master's in student affairs and higher education back in 2005 from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And I, I very much remember so vividly when I was an undergrad, what that process looked like and the Mm -hmm. preparation that I put into it. And knowing that, you know, fast forward to 2021, not a lot has changed in the overall um, timeline or the preparation. So I feel Mm -hmm. comfortable in that the the experience and wisdom I'm sharing is still relevant and timely. So from my graduate education, I then moved on as a career advisor at Virginia Tech, where I worked from 2005 to 2010. And, And And really, that was my opportunity to put into play what I learned through my graduate education. My first job out of school allowed for me to put that theory into practice. And then when I came to DeSales in 2010, I really felt that I not only had the um, graduate experience at that point, but then I also had five years of professional experience that absolutely carried me to be successful in the role that I'm in today. Wonderful. So when we start talking, I think the first thing that I think of is sort of deciding, how do you even decide whether or not you should actually even go to graduate school? Because you hear people who, who, you know, may say, you know, I never got anything above a bachelor's, but I do this, this and this, but sort of what, what, what's the decision like and sort of what is the, what's going on in your mind when you're deciding whether or not you should be going to graduate school? Interestingly enough, as I was thinking about this question, I thought about first and foremost, one of the very first episodes you and I did together. And we Mm -hmm. talked about finding your why. Yes. I think that comes back full circle to, as you're looking at graduate schools, what's your why? What is it that you want 
to specialize in. And that's what grad school is about. It's yeah. taking your education and elevating it to the next level. That's a, preparing you to be successful, um, further successful in your career. Um, and it's important though, that you understand and know what type of education is needed within your career. And there's a difference between that need and that want. Do you mm -hmm. need to get that advanced degree to move forward? Or do you just want that? And is that something right now that you need to do? Or is it something that you can work a year or two and get some work under your belt? Mm -hmm. I know there are some uh, master's programs, especially MBA programs that prefer individuals to have a year or two of experience under their belt before they apply. Because the notion is, is that you're then entering into a graduate program, an advanced program where you can contribute not only what you learned um, from your undergrad, but also those practical skills from yeah. um, job experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to understand is, is that master's degree or PhD is it going to help you stand out among other applicants? Is it gonna help you score a raise or a promotion? Is it gonna help you break into a competitive, competitive field? And if you're answering yes to those questions, then maybe you really should look closely at programs that are in sync with the why and that answer that address those questions. I wanna I want really emphasize though, not going into grad school to avoid the real world and you know yeah. that quote unquote real world <laughs> and i think that's easier said than done especially yeah. when we're faced with tougher times in our world and our economy i remember back when the recession hit in 2007 2008 there was an uptick in individuals applying to graduate school because there really weren't jobs or the job market was extremely hard and competitive we're finding ourselves now in um, soon to be hopefully post pandemic times where the job market's not bad, but things are looking different. And yeah. we need to really put on a lens of at this time, what is the best move for me? And if it's thinking to myself, oh, well, I'll just avoid a job search right now and buy myself some time, I'll go to grad school. That might not be the best fit because what I want to also express is the difference between graduate school and undergraduate school. Mm -hmm. and thinking about what you're able to take on. You know, what is your life situation post undergrad and how much time and commitment do you have to devote? If you decide that moving forward with a graduate degree is important and it's going to help you advance and you want to move forward, let's think about also the time that's in front of you. Um, how much time do you have to commit? Because graduate programs are more specialized. It's heavier on the readings and on the papers. I will never forget my first graduate class. And in one week, we were asked to read 300 pages. Oh, I was no. dumbfounded because I remember when I was an undergrad, I used to struggle when I was asked to read 50 pages in one week. Yeah. Um, you know, the amount of test decreases depending on the program and the amount of papers or group work uh, is definitely advanced. Faculty and graduate programs are there for you, but they're truly there to um, help you evolve as a, as a professional in that field. So mm -hmm. whereas you might see your faculty member here at DeSales or your undergrad as someone that 
their faculty, their authority hears me as student. Your faculty member in your graduate program is more likely going to see you as a colleague, as someone that they are working alongside, especially if you're doing a fellowship with them, a GA position with them, a research position with them. Mm -hmm. So your relationship with your faculty shifts some. I remember one of the most challenging things for me was when my faculty told us that we could call them by their first names. And I was like, wait a minute. No, ever since I was a little kid, everyone is Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. Or, yeah. And they would actually scold us if we said, you know, their, their, their title rather than using their first name. So really your relationship with your faculty is, is different and getting used to that difference. Mm-hmm. Knowing that not all the learning takes place in the classroom. You are going to have research. You're going to have practicums. You're going to have GA ships, fellowships depending on where you go, um, that are going to help you, that's going to help you take that theory to practice. Um, Seasonal breaks, they don't mean you necessarily get the time off. So if you are used to having spring break, summer break, winter break as an undergrad, if you go on to graduate school, you might be having to do a practicum over one of those breaks. You might have to put time in the lab and do extra work over those breaks. Mm Your social circles tend to be smaller in grad school. Uh, I was in a cohort of, I believe, 20 students when I was in grad school. And we really just were a a close-knit family that even when we worked in group projects, it was even smaller. Um, So maybe there were five of us that really stuck together during my two years of graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then not everyone will be the same age as you. You are coming from undergrad and maybe going into a graduate program where someone might have 15 years of experience and has now decided they want to go on and get their master's and is returning to college for the first time. So keeping in mind that the demographics, the ages of the folks that you're having classes with is going to vary, as is the background of major they're going to come to the program with. I remember when I was in grad school, my cohort was made up of individuals that were former firemen, that were English majors, that were business majors, that were political science majors. I was an elementary education major, but we were at this point now where we were specializing in what we wanted to do, whether it was our first move out of undergrad, which for me it was, or for other folks that after a couple of years in their fields had a change of heart but knew their transferable skill sets would make them a good fit for the program Mm -hmm. and decided to apply and follow that career path moving forward. Um, So those are some things that when I talk about looking at why go to grad school, it's also important to understand the differences and knowing that it's more time intensive. You might not have as many breaks as you want, um, but knowing that if you're ready and willing to handle that, it definitely could be the, the best move for you. Yeah. And also thinking of, um, you brought up like graduate assistants, like I'm not quite sure if all programs have that, but I know like, you know, you're still paying a hefty price to be there. Um, I know like at some schools they have TAs as well, but that's a large time commitment. Everyone thinks that, oh, like it's kind of just like having a job in college where you only work like six hours a week and it's not. Um, like it's so much more and so much more time intensive. TAing a class is actually incredibly difficult. I used to um, work in a lab and all of the graduate uh, 
the graduate students were also TAs and they would be grading papers while they're running experiments, trying to do their work and working at the same time. And, you know, they were putting that money towards their tuition, but it is definitely something to look into to the actual cost of graduate school as well. Absolutely. Just as I was talking about the cost of time being your time, there's also that financial cost. And mm -hmm. is it something that coming out of grad school, you can afford to take another loan out if that's the route you go or being very strategic in your research of these programs that will pay for your education. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to be in a position where my program paid for my credits, but also I received a stipend for my GA position. Mm -hmm. So ultimately I only had to pay for my books in a student life fee. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely an excellent point that you raised that you have to look at that monetary aspect. Um, and if you are able to wait a little bit, it's not um, necessary for you to land your first job to have that advanced degree. Find a company that will help pay for that degree. Yeah. There are companies out there that will help you and supplement um, the cost so you can get that master's degree. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, what exactly is sort of the general timeline for the process of applying to graduate school? So what I'm going to be speaking about is definitely an overarching timeline. So no mm -hmm. matter what program you're going into, this traditionally is the, the flow of the process. For those of you that are thinking about grad school, junior year is really the time to start doing some research. It usually is the summer going into your senior year where you are doing your test prep. You're working on applications. Maybe you're doing a site visit like you did for um, undergrad. I remember that I went out to the institutions that I was applying to for graduate school, because just as you did when you came to DeSales, you knew when there was that fit where you felt that this was an environment and a culture you belonged in. And I want for you to have the same, especially if you're going to go to grad school full time. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you're going part time, you know, you want to check out the environment and the classes and maybe meet with a department chair or another student in that program. So I really see the summer months leading up to your senior year being more of that informational gathering, research gathering, and deciding which tests you need to take and preparing for them. Whereas as you enter in September and October, traditionally for the GREs, you do need to take those uh, in that time frame. Mm -hmm. um, GMATs also usually are around that time frame, so it's important once again that you do your research so you know. Also knowing if the school even requires a standardized test for admission. Uh, ironically enough, I chose to go to the one school that didn't require it. So oh. um, <laughs> I, I went through the process and I took my GREs, but uh, I wound up going to the one school that didn't need it. <laughs> um, fun fact. So um, after you're taking those tests, something else you want to be thinking about is asking folks to serve as letters of recognition 
uh, or write letters of recommendation, which we're going to talk about in a little bit later. Uh, and then usually the personal statement is something that you're developing along the way, uh, which we're also going to touch upon. So now we're in that November, December timeframe. Usually that's the time for early admission or early registration, submission of applications. So you want to make sure that if you want to get in early, that you do have your test taken, your personal statement done, your resume looked at, um, any other type of statements or submissions that they need, those recommendations ready to go. Is it normally rolling admissions? I'm, I'm just genuinely not sure. Like, is it rolling or do they sort of wait till they get all the submissions in or does it depend by school? It depends by school and by okay. program. And that's why research, research, research. Yeah. Um, but the traditional application deadline for most graduate programs is going to be January. Mm -hmm. um, so they, some schools will do rolling, um, but most will have some type of, of time frame with usually a submission date of January. Mm -hmm. uh, because then what happens is in February, March is when campuses will start to do interviews. So at some schools, some programs, you'll interview for the program itself, whereas others, you might be admitted into the program, but then you'll be interviewed for an assistantship, a GA, a TA, okay, yeah. and then you'll know based upon that if you're offered, if you're able or willing to go to a school that maybe didn't offer you an opportunity or mm -hmm. because you got one, you're 100% sure now you're going to move forward with accepting. And when we talk about acceptance, traditionally, um, not only is the deadline tax day, but April 15th Whoa. is the traditional due date um, for responding to a graduate program, letting them know that you're going to accept uh, and, and join the program. Okay. And then on average, I guess, and this sort of goes into the next question, um, building your school list. Um, so something I see a lot and something I researched a lot when I, I started the process of applying to medical school is that everyone sort of uh, has this idea that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you go as long as you get in, which sounds really nice in theory, but then you think I'm spending maybe four years there in the area. And if you don't love the area or you don't love the people or the program or the curriculum, are you really going to love what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And so I think everyone always sort of jumps to this. Well, I'll just go wherever I get in. I'm happy I got in, but what are your recommendations on sort of building the school list and sort of what you should be looking for as either red flags or what I like to call green flags when applying to schools? Sure. Let me start off with a point that you raised with, I want to go, but where do I start? Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's four critical things that you want to think about. Do you want to go full-time or part-time? Do you want to be on a campus, living on a campus, like traditionally you might do at undergrad? Or do you want to be online? Are you willing to relocate if it's pulling you away from your, your hometown? Um, and then what type of admission test will you need to take? So those are four things I say to start off with to decide and answer for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but when it's looking at the, the bigger picture in terms of researching, um, you want to read up on the reputation of a program. Is it a program that is, 
mentioned in a lot of journals, that is mentioned in a lot of US News and World Reports and best graduate schools and the graduate school guide? Um, are you able to readily find information on their website? What's the length of the program? How long, if you are to go part-time, how long is it going to take you? And then factoring in the cost of it all. Um, academic concentrations within the program. Faculty achievements. Are you looking for a robust program where your faculty have um, received acknowledgments, awards, they're well published? Or are you someone that the faculty doesn't really matter if a program has, you know, one director and a couple of adjuncts, as long as there's people to teach me, I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. um, looking at alumni testimonials, you know, the website hopefully would share that or the materials you can receive from the schools but also asking if you can talk to a student that's in that program. Just as we talk about doing informational interviews with um, alumni that are in career fields of interest, there's nothing wrong with speaking to someone that is currently in a program that you're interested in because mm -hmm. they're going to be able to tell you upfront what it's really like. Uh, and then last but not least, that financial aid piece. You really wanna factor that in. Knowing your personal finances, knowing if you can afford to do it out of pocket or take out another loan, or know, that you, or know if you really need to focus in on a program that's going to um, afford you a stipend or a way for you to make extra money through a GA ship or practicum. Um, type of experience. Mm -hmm. And another thing I'll mention too is that at one point in my academic career, I thought I might want to get some sort of PhD or something in neuroscience. And something I was looking into was really looking at the labs of the professors in the school. So if you're wanting to go into some sort of science or some specific field in like English, say like American romanticism or something of that sort, you want to make sure that there's a faculty member there that's going to be able to help you because if not you know you may be getting a, a general but yet specific degree in you know english literature of like this era but it may not be specific enough for you to work on a, say a thesis or something of that sort so when you're applying to sort of at least the sciences i know you can go right on their website and see the faculty and read up on the papers and what they're writing and what their lab is all about ordinarily, it probably will not change in the next 10 years because they study what they love and they've been doing it for years and they want to continue working on this one thing. So I think that can be the difficult thing for students as well as really finding faculty that match your topic of interest, especially if it's something really niche, like, I don't know, like microinvertebrates of the, in like the water. I made that up, but something like that where, you know, it's very, very specific and it kind of narrows down your pool of schools almost immediately. Right. Absolutely. Um, one website that I would recommend, it's um, collegechoice.net. So it's www.collegechoice.net is a great site to examine schools of interest. And it really is robust in the type of information it provides, including information about um, faculty numbers to class student ratio. And for me, I will say the determining factor for selecting the graduate program I did were the faculty. There were four full-time faculty for 20 of us in the cohort. They were very well versed in the profession. They have written um, very strong books, articles, and 
also when I went out there for my interview, they were the most down to earth faculty um, I had met along my journey of, of applying to and interviewing at graduate programs. Um, not many people go out to Indiana, Pennsylvania because it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful community, but if you've ever been out there, there's not much to be seen. Um, <laughs> I knew it was only a two-year commitment. That's all my graduate program was. And I mm -hmm. said to myself, I can do any location for two years, yeah. providing I have the appropriate resources. And knowing that I was offered a GA ship and knowing that I just felt comfortable with those faculty, mm -hmm. that was for me a huge deciding um, force. Absolutely. So moving on, so you know, you've decided to go, now you're thinking about letters of recommendation. When should you start sort of thinking about that and how should you phrase it? Because this was something I learned when I started asking for letters of recommendation. I was sort of under the impression that it was kind of like someone that you knew and you know them pretty well and then you ask them for a letter of recommendation. But what I found, especially in COVID, is that students at larger schools are actually having an extremely difficult time doing it, especially in COVID times where it's extremely difficult for students to form the same relationships that they might not, that they might have uh, when they're actually in the classroom. Additionally, making sure that it's gonna be a strong letter of recommendation. I always decided to put that word in there and it seems kind of silly because it's only one word, but it really does change and gives the person who's answering it's sort of an out to say no, because you wanna make sure it's gonna be strong. You wanna make sure that they're not just gonna say, you know, they raised their hand a couple times in class. They didn't do anything bad. They did well in the class and like, that's it. Um, so how would you go about sort of the whole letter of recommendation process? Absolutely great question. I always say, as soon as you know you want to apply to grad school, that's when you start asking people. Mm -hmm. The more that you allow people in your life to be aware of your goals and where you want to go and what you want to study, the easier it is when the time comes to ask them for an actual letter, it's almost seamless. And mm -hmm. that individual is going to be more than willing and happy to write that letter for you. Um, you want to allow your recommenders plenty of time because most often you're asking your faculty, you're asking a internship supervisor, you're asking someone on campus, maybe in student life that has supervised you to write you those letters. And their plates are full with teaching, with doing their nine to five job, or sometimes even later. And if you want for them to really give that honest and devote that time to that feedback, you want to make sure that you're being flexible and providing them that time to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the best things you can do in addition to letting them know up front, I'm starting to think about grad school. As I start to narrow down my list of schools, um, may I share them with you? And would you be willing to serve as a recommender for me? Provide them with a copy of your resume. If you have also a personal statement, um, if you have a um, diversity statement, anything that you can share with them to support what they already know about you, to help supplement what's going into that um, letter. 
also provide them with information on the programs that you're applying to so they can see where they can maybe make some connections um, based upon what you possess and what they're seeking um, and know how the recommendation process would occur. Meaning, are you going to be sending them a link? Will the program themselves be sending you a link and you click on it and you have to submit it online? Mm -hmm. Or do they need to write or type up, print out and mail in an actual um, recommendation letter? And that varies based upon program. I have done recommendations for students for graduate schools that I've done both ways. They have sent me a link directly. The program themselves sent me the link. Um, and then I've also done typed up letters that I've put in the mail. Uh, more often than not, uh, students are asked to waive their rights to review their recommendations. So if you see that come up, what that means, you know, I waive, it means you would not be reading that letter of recommendation. The individual that wrote it's going to send it off without you seeing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that it is a good thing for you to do that. As much as you're curious as to what they're saying, I think that recommender can be even more authentic and transparent and have a little less stress mm -hmm. um, knowing that they can just freely think and, and send out. Um, I do know, and, and I will share this, Kylie, when you asked me to be one of your letter of recommendations for medical school, I was so nervous because I, I literally was just, oh my goodness, I need to make sure that I truly highlight all of the strengths that this incredible woman has because this is her passion. This is her dream. This is what she wants. I want to really make sure I am portraying her in the best light. And it, it made me like happy nervous, I, I yeah. should say. Um, but that's what you want from your recommenders, yeah. that they're happy nervous to, mm -hmm. to write that for you. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you've got your champions and you're asking them because they, they know you the best. And I also recommend, I always gave the offer to my letter of recommendation writers that if they want to Zoom with me or sit down with me to discuss it, I always gave that offer. Because especially now, and especially me being older, I mean, I had already graduated. I'm not on campus all the time. I'm not in their class anymore. I understand that it can be a little difficult to like always remember all the details of people's lives. So I always gave the professors and whoever else I asked them just that offer you know they didn't have to take it but at least it was there and they knew that if they had any questions um, I could answer them another thing that I did that I thought was helpful I'm not sure if I did it with everyone but someone had sent me a list of competencies that uh, the double AMC which is the American Association of Medical Colleges um, has in terms of what they're looking for for a medical doctor and like what what exactly they're looking for out of applica applicants. And so that's something that I tried to send or at least highlight some of the things that I thought were important. And Absolutely. I think that's like a great way to sort of have them hone in on some competencies without, you know, making it all about that. And I will say that was a tremendous help for me when I was writing your statement, because mm -hmm. I was able to make sure that I tailored my recommendation for you to what they were seeking and what you possess. So yeah. just as we talk to students about when you write a cover letter um, or your resume, you're tailoring to the job that you're applying to, you know, this allows your recommender to really tailor their recommendation to the school and the program that you're applying to. Yep. So moving on to personal statements, 
personal statements is a beast in and of itself and it could be its absolute own episode and I know you have just so much to say about personal statements because you do a wonderful presentation about them and me having just written mine oh my goodness let me tell you the process took forever and (laughs) even now having like gone through like 20 something edits and like thinking I'm done there's still like that little nugget in the back of my brain that's like read it over again do it again and I'm just like I'm done I did it you know, it's good. But so what do you what are your thoughts sort of on the personal statement process and sort of what should we go through students minds? Just do it. And, <laughs> yes. and, and yes. what I mean by that is just sit down and just write it, type yes. it out. Let all of the thoughts flow. Don't stop yourself because you'll be amazed at once you do you know, the proverbial brain dump, the connections that you start to see or the points that you start to see. If you're someone that you like to record yourself talking, maybe talk out those points Mm -hmm. and then play it back for you. Um, You know, the graduate school admissions process, the factors that are looked at are quantitative, the standardized test scores, GPA, but also qualitative. And that personal statement is such an integral piece to the qualitative factors. And I have seen it sway decisions before in graduate programs where maybe the standardized test score wasn't as high, but the qualitative factors like a letter of recommendation or the interview, um, along with that personal statement, really drives the point home that this is a great candidate. And Mm -hmm. the qualitative factors are the things that you can still change, you can still work on. You're at a point now, maybe you can't change your GPA, maybe you can't change your test score, but you can really spend that time. So just do it uh, is the best advice I can say with getting started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why are graduate schools focusing on this so much? Because the essays are the best way for them to determine who you are. Mm -hmm. Don't hesitate to go beyond your current experiences. Feel free to discuss past events. anything that defines who you are. They want that authentic individual that can say, this is why I want to go on and specialize. This is why I want this to be my next step. Giving thought of how your past and current experiences, Um, rather than what I say, a generic statement that just says, oh, I want to go to grad school. I think I'd be a great fit for your program. the more generic you are, the less authentic it comes to the reader. And I say to folks, be mindful that you're also not rewriting your resume. Sometimes when I have a personal statement that a student has um, submitted for a first review, I do see it that it's almost a regurgitation of the resume. Keep it separate. Your resume is your resume. Your personal statement is your personal statement. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, am I the only person who can sign my name to this document? So if you you read that personal statement draft and you say to yourself, okay, this is unique to me. No one else but Kylie can put her name on this. Mm -hmm. Um, You may go through five drafts and reviews or more until you get it to the point you like but absolutely ask people to read it. Someone who knows you, someone who doesn't know you that well, and someone that knows the field. The more that you get eyes on it, the more that you're going to get to the point of of peace of heart and mind in submitting it. And I always tell students when I start with the first draft with them on a personal statement and reviewing it, I say, don't 
think this is the last time. I said, I expect us to have two, three, four, maybe even five meetings to go over this. And that's okay. Yeah. So get the brain dump out, start to look at the programs and what their missions are, what their goals are, their their challenges, and how can you then orient also what you're saying about your experiences, your strengths, and how it's an asset to that program. Now, if you're applying to something that's more of a... um, general or common application, you might not be able to tailor that personal statement to a program, Mm -hmm. but as long as you know the overall overarching mission of the field, or if you can talk about a trend right now that's happening in that industry uh, or that field, you can definitely make some connections that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But just as we talk about cover letters and interviews, how can you be an asset to that company of that organization? Treat it with the same mindset and the personal statement of how you can be an asset to that grad program. Is Mm -hmm. it your research work? Is it your volunteer work? Is it the study abroad that you did? Is it um, the internship that you had? So always going back to how you can also be an asset to them. Yeah. Um, So I really do want to just encourage folks to not be afraid to get started dive right in, get it all out, mm-hmm. turn to your resources that can help you fine tune, read it through, and then help you get it to the point where you're happy and peaceful to submit it. Absolutely. And I think one of the most major things that I learned when writing the personal statement, um, it was the first thing I had ever really written about myself in a very long time. So it was very, very strange. Um, and especially because medical school is a common application. So you're really more speaking about why medicine as compared to, well, why medical school as compared to why a specific school. But the one thing I learned, um, I had read a really awesome book um, by this physician, Dr. Ryan Gray, and he has a book on personal statements. And the big thing that he highlights is showing, not telling. So when, of course, physicians are supposed to be empathetic, but you don't want to just be like, I'm an empathetic person. I did this one time. It's more about sort of setting the scene and showing a, telling a story about something, really painting a picture for the person reading it. Not just saying, you know, I think I'm a good person because I've done this, this, and this. Obviously they'd know that by looking at your resume or something else, but really just highlighting a few stories that have really changed the way you think about the field you're going into and really painting that picture for them, making them feel like they're in that moment. And through those stories and then the reflections afterwards of how they changed you can really tell a reader a lot about a person without having to say exactly what you're trying to say. And I think that was something I learned a lot about because I was spending so much time in my first few drafts selling myself, trying to prove that, you know, I'm a good person. I've done this, this, and this, and all that kind of stuff. But then once you start telling stories about things you're passionate about, the whole narrative changes and it just becomes something that's much more authentic and also much more enjoyable to read as well. Absolutely. And that's why it goes back to that point of the more that you can tell stories, the more that it becomes unique enough to you that you're proud to sign your name and you could be the only person to sign your name to that. Mm -hmm. And absolutely you hit the nail on the head. And that's something that I find that I'm saying most often to individuals as they're working on their statements is show me how. Don't just tell me that you're a great communicator. Show me how. Mm -hmm. Or don't just tell me that 
you as an undergrad changed your major to marketing and now want to get your MBA in marketing? Why did you change your major? Was there an aha moment? Was there a mm-hmm. faculty member that influenced that decision? Was it an experience that you had that influenced that decision? Because what you've done, how you've acted in the past can be a strong indicator of how you're going to be and perform in the future. Mm-hmm. So they want that ability to really read that narrative about you. And it really is like a story from, mm-hmm. you know, having a, a beginning, a middle and an end and making sure that that end, that conclusion ties it all together reinforces that passion, that drive. If you had a really good hook statement in that first paragraph that you maybe quoted someone or something that you read in that closing paragraph, revisit, bring it all back together um, Mm -hmm. to really show that that full circle um, uh, narrative. Absolutely. So my final question for you, and I think that it's it's a long answer, but I think that it's really important to sort of touch upon it because I feel as if it's sometimes neglected in the process, um, is what can students be doing currently to strengthen their applications to graduate school? First and foremost is making sure that graduate school is the next step. So Mm -hmm. before you put in the time and energy to apply, put the time and energy into understanding if you need this if this is a need or a want mm-hmm. at this point in time. So that comes from research. First and foremost, research. Um, knowing the reason why, and then once you know the reason why, then you research more. Mm-hmm. Um, so really it's looking at where you want to live geographically, going back to full-time, part-time, online hybrid. What does that look like? And then utilizing your resources, your career center, your faculty that have gone through similar graduate programs and what recommendations they may have. Um, Are there missing links that you're seeing as you're looking at the program descriptions or the application process that they're saying you need to have X experience or you need to um, make sure you collect X materials? Wherever those missing links are, make sure you use this time to get them, to collect them, to close that loop Mm -hmm. um, and make sure that all the links are connected. So really it starts with research, knowing the why you're doing it then researching more to find out exactly how you're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then once you know for sure, yes, I'm going, yes, I can afford it. I know where I want to be. Then working on, okay, do I have to take a standardized test? Writing my personal statement, collecting my letters of recommendation. And then when you're done with all of that, sending the application in and then appropriately thanking everyone that helped you along the way. Mm-hmm. Thank yous go a long way. And anytime that someone helps you, not only in the job search, but in your graduate school search, send the appropriate email or handwritten thank you note. Absolutely. So Kristen, do you have anything final that you would like to say about the graduate school process? Don't let it intimidate you. Don't let it scare you. It may seem like it was so long ago that you were applying to school, but in reality, it it hasn't been. You have, at this point, the best resources than you ever will to help Mm -hmm. you move forward to that next step. And I just encourage you to not be afraid to ask questions, to help 
yourself best is by seeking the help of those that are knowledgeable and have the wisdom in that field, in Mm -hmm. that field area. Um, So really my, my closing piece of advice is don't be afraid, know your resources on your campus and outside that can help you do that research and then take that first step. Once you start working on one application, you're going to see it's just going to start flowing and become natural. And you'll really sit back afterwards and say to yourself, okay, it wasn't that bad after all. (laughs) Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight about graduate school with me. I feel like I learned something new every time I talk to you. So I, I love this discussion. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, and best of luck to all of our students out there. And if at any point I can be of a resource, you know where to find me. Alrighty, everyone. Firstly, I'd like to thank Kristen for zooming in with me and sharing all that valuable information about applying to graduate school. The process of applying to graduate school can seem incredibly daunting, but make sure that you're utilizing all of your resources, like your career development center, faculty and staff, and maybe even others who have applied to graduate schools in previous years. You are not alone in this process, and there are so many people there that are willing to help you along the way, so make sure that you reach out to them. One other thing to note is that we are looking for podcast topic recommendations. So if you've been thinking that there's a specific topic that you wish that we had covered, or a specific person that you wish that we had spoken to, then feel free to reach out to us at the DeSales email located in the show description. With that being said, my friends, I hope that you all have a wonderful week and make sure that you keep an eye out for next week's Beyond the Tassel episode with Carla.